I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, we're taking a look inside the working day of Louise Hare to see how she gets stuff done. Uh, Now, her debut is This Lovely City. It's an exploration of race and identity in post-Windrush London. Uh, We find out how it developed from a short story written in a creative writing course. Also, we talk about how a trip underground into a hidden part of London helped inspire her. And we learn about how she's finding the leap from part-time writing to having the full day at your liberty. What I've tried to do is set myself word counts for each day. Okay. And again, if I pit it by 10am, great. I've got the rest of the day off and I can just go out or binge Netflix or something. Um, so I've been trying to do that. What's the then- magic number? That you are trying to hit every day. Um, so I'm trying to do 2,000. Okay. Bearing in mind, I've got a whole day. So that's sort of... And I'm editing at the moment, so it's actually quite quite easy to do that mm. because I'm not necessarily doing new words. I'm just doing different words, if that makes sense. So um, that seems to be working. So I'm hoping to get that draft finished by the end of this month, which I'm on track to do. So stick around. It's all on the way with Louise Hare in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along. It's Writer's Routine, the show where we take a sneak peek inside the working day of some of the world's best writers to hopefully steal some of their scheduling secrets. How do they take an idea from their head and plan their day uh, to get it down onto paper? Uh, Now, I guess, you know, how are you coping then? Are you stuck inside? Are you working from home? I am hashtag self-isolating or semi-self-isolating. I'm kind of eking out as long as I can, I think, until any lockdown might happen. Uh, And I know that um, so many authors' events have been cancelled. If that's one of yours, I can only imagine how, you know, awful that must be. All the excitement and then... Uh, the release must be a little bit underwhelming. I'm really sorry about that. So we'll try and keep uh, going. We'll try and keep the show going. Uh, If you have published a book recently and you've lost one of the means to tell people about it, uh, let me know. I'll give so many shout outs to to new uh, authors, debut authors. I'll give so many shout outs to work that you're publishing. If you've not had the chance yet, just send an email over to um, the contact page at writersroutine.com and I will do what I can. Uh, now, without making light of this terrible situation, being stuck at home, I mean, it isn't fun. It isn't what we need. But I'm thinking 
maybe the boredom, maybe there is a silver lining in it. Maybe that time spent with nothing to do can finally give you the space that you need to at last finish the book. Uh, If that is you, uh, we'll be here every week uh, if we can, if we can, touch wood, uh, for that inspiration that you need. And remember, there's a full backlog that you can check out. If you're new to the show, there's over almost 100 episodes, some of the best authors on the planet uh, giving their tips and tricks for getting their ideas down. They will always help you out. So go and have a look. It's writersroutine.com. Now, this week, our guest is Louise Hare. Her her debut novel is This Lovely City. It's due to be one of the reads of the summer. It's all about post-Windrush Brixton. Now, Brixton, uh, if you're not aware, is an area of London with a huge Caribbean heritage. Many of the people who lived there during the 50s and 60s and 70s uh, would have arrived on board uh, the ship Empire Windrush, Uh, that brought people over from the Caribbean. Now, the book tells the story of the jazz musician uh, Laurie Matthews, who makes a terrible discovery which threatens to tear the city apart. Now, we talk about how Louise has worked on this idea over time, uh, why this one got her published when others before have failed. We learn uh, what she learned in her creative writing course, how much she hopes to get done in a day, but how she's finding full-time writing. It's all on the way. And we start off, as always, with what Louise sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. I right in my flat so I've got a desk pushed up against the wall and then what I have at the moment um because I'm really lazy and I probably should have changed this because I'm writing my second book now but I've still got lots of pictures that um I had up for this lovely city so um I found loads of uh photographs of sort of Windrush passengers sort of when they first arrived um, and I just printed loads out. There were loads on the Guardian website to do with the sort of Windrush scandal. Um, so I just printed loads of those out and stuck them all round as like inspiration. Is that what they helped you do? It, it wasn't necessarily story based. Were you basing your characters on some of these people or are they just helping you evoke the time? Yeah, it was just really to get into the period to um, sort of visualise what my characters it's more in terms of what they were wearing I think because um, at that point the characters were already kind of fully mm. formed but it was more just just picturing what people were doing like walking around on people on trains and just yeah sort of just general you know this is what I'm kind of sitting down to do is write this book about these people and so you've got these pictures is there any other bits of inspiration around you that help you tell your story my desk is really really messy yeah. like to the point where things fall off it because things are piled up so I do tend to have um sort of books hanging around like the Lonely Londoners um Sam Selvin that I um read at the very early stage of writing the first draft again just to get into like the mindset of what it was like to be in the 1950s in London and be um an immigrant and I kept that to hand so sometimes I just sort of flick through before I started writing just to get back into the mindset again um so, yeah, just just general. Away from inspiration, is there much plotting that, that, that I could see around you? I mean, if I were to sit down in your writing space now, would I have any idea as to what you were writing and, and at what point you were writing it? You would have no idea because <laughs> I'm really bad at plotting. Okay. Um, I always try to plot. Um, and I might have a few things. Like for this lovely city, I had a new what the book started with, I knew, because it starts with a crime, so I knew who had done it, I knew why. So I knew 
those bits, but I had no idea what was going to happen in the middle. It probably would have been helpful to know before <laughs> I started writing, but um, the characters informed a lot of the plot, actually. Yeah. And uh, a lot of it changed. So there's a lot of redrafting with this novel. Amazing. Um, as I went along. I, I think I think we'll unpack that quite significantly but are you using post for the little the minimal bits of plotting that you do do is it is mm. it post-it notes is it whiteboards is it cork boards um i just tend to have like a notebook mm. hanging around and i just jot bits and bobs down um see how it sort of pans out i mean sometimes it's quite cryptic i tend to like have a lot of ideas just about to fall asleep mm. and like oh let me write this down and then it's like you get to it next morning you're like what does that what does that mean? It's a, knack- it's a knackered <laughs> scrawl, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Or just sometimes, it, you know, it's legible, but I'm like, that still doesn't make any sense. Like, you've just written like four words and I'm like, mm. sometimes it does make sense. Um, sometimes I've, I've actually come up with characters that way and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's actually a good idea. Let me incorporate that. Um, but yeah, my notebooks are, again, a bit of a mess, a bit of random sort of research bits and bobs. Are the yeah. ideas that you do get down just before you, you drift off, are they as good the next day as they always seem to be the moment you have to write them down that second yeah it really varies um and the other thing is that sometimes I write them down and then the next day I'm like yeah okay that still makes sense and but then when I come to sort of maybe a week or two weeks later actually look at how that would fit into the book I'm like actually it doesn't it's a good idea but it doesn't actually fit so it's just really it varies. I mean, if I didn't write it down, I'd always be thinking, oh my God, what was that idea that I had? So at least it gets rid of that sort of worry that you that missed out doubt. on some kind of like genius idea. Um, because I'm always a bit sceptical over the idea that we have our best ideas in the middle of the night. Mm. I've heard a lot of people talk about this and I know that every time I've, like you, when I write down something in the middle mm. of the night and... and the next morning, if I can understand it, yeah. <laughs> often it's, it's n- no way is it good enough to, that I should have dragged myself out of bed at two in the morning yeah. before I find. It, it does vary. Um, sometimes, like, I've had a couple, I would say two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> two ideas that were just about to fall asleep and I had to turn the light back on and write it down that have actually really panned out and I was, like, really happy that I wrote them down. But I think for the most part, actually going for a walk, mm. um, when I get really stuck... Um, you know, like, because again, I don't plot properly. <laughs> so quite often I'm like, this character's gone from A to C. Like, what? what's the B kind mm. of thing? Like, what, I, and I'm just trying to work out, okay, how are they getting from here to here? Um, that's often something that I struggle with. And I just find sometimes going for a walk or going to the gym, just something that just shuts your thinking part of mm. your brain down a little bit. Sometimes it just suddenly em- like opens up and you have this, sort of epiphany like, oh my god of course it'd be something really simple and it's just that you couldn't when you're trying to think really hard about something it's just like it won't come but I do find I guess that's kind of the same when you're about to fall asleep it's the same thing but it tends to be a bit more coherent when it happens in the middle of the day <laughs> it's just changed because actually I've just stopped work for a bit to sort of do stuff for this book um and actually it's not really a routine it's a bit of a mess <laughs> um but I'm only two weeks into it so I'm sure I'll figure it out but when I was writing this book I was doing a lot of things. I was working full time. I was also doing an MA in creative writing. So I had lots of work mm. to do for that that was diff- that was separate to this book. And then obviously I had to get this book finished. So what I found sort of worked for me was getting up maybe an hour early. Um, just to have that hour to write before 
sort of getting showered, getting dressed, going to work. Um, depending what stage I was at, sometimes I'd write during my lunch at work, but it depended what I was up to. Like if I was just doing a bit of editing and it was a pretty scene that I was pretty happy with and just wanted to go over a few bits, that was kind of fine to do at work. But if I wanted to write like a brand new scene, there would like sort of be too many distractions, so I'd have to leave leave that. Um, and then I'd get home, as I say, get home about 7 p.m. And I would let myself have an hour. So the hour, like, get food, watch an episode of something on TV. And then sort of 8 till 10 was when I wanted to write again to kind of get that done. Um, and then obviously if I had some stuff for uh, uni to do, then that would have to fit into that time as well. So whether I was writing a short story that had to be submitted for that. Um, and it's just being organised, I think, sort of sitting down at the start of the week and going, okay, this is what I've got on this week. I want to get to this stage. Or I want to get two chapters edited or written, or I want to get to this word count. And then just making sure, like working out how that would fit in. Talking about word count there, in, in an ideal uh, two hour window in the mm. evening, how much would you get down? Oof, it really varies. Um, I think usually if I sit down for two hours, I'd like to get a thousand mm. words. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. But yeah, I think like a thousand, I would say, if I'm doing like a first draft, um, would be I would be happy with that. That's quite a thorough writing time. It's it's quite a, a condensed. I need to get my work done mm. a little bit in the morning, um, and, and then you've got your two hours in the evening. How do you make sure that you are? focused because it's late at night after a long day at work mm. how do you make sure that you're focused and you are you're ready to go come eight in the evening okay it's like getting into a habit so it, it took a while to do it and then because I'm really not a morning person so in the winters the getting up an hour early kind of went out the window <laughs> but in summer it's easy because it was light so yeah. it, it depends like if I had like a really good writing session in the morning and I actually did managed to do like a thousand words in an hour which did sometimes happen then I'd be like okay well I'll, I'll give myself a night off so you give yourself like little treats mm. and you don't obviously you don't do that every day so you give yourself a couple of nights off um so that it doesn't become a chore um but you know it's I find it really helpful to just set myself like targets for each week so if you hit your target early great so you know go to the gym that night or go to the cinema or you know do something meet up with a friend um, and do it that way but then if you get behind you're like well I've built all this time in that I have sort of said to myself is going to be writing time. You you said you were at university at the same time this mm. was the the MA in, in creative writing how did doing that affect the way that you told stories almost learning mm. on the go? Yeah so um, the reason I signed up for it is that I'd written a novel and I'd sent it to about 50 agents and been rejected um, but had some like good feedback along the way so I wasn't you know completely demoralized I thought well you know not this book but maybe if I can improve the way I write or sort of learn more about the, the craft or what have you um so I signed up to do the MA um Burt Beck because it was in the evening I could do it part-time so it worked um around my job which was really important and actually this book came out of that course entirely because of the first term we wrote short stories so I had to write three different short stories and then we submit them to a workshop and people would sort of critique them um and I wrote a short story set in uh, 1948 in South London and everyone was like but what happens after this after the end of this story and I was like I don't know this is it and they were like no because 
we want to know what happens to Laurie. We want to know, you know, he is one day into, because it's, that short story is now a chapter in the novel and it's basically the day after Laurie arrives um, on, off the Windrush. And they're like, well, we need to know what happens to him. Like, how does he get a job? Like, what happens with his band? And what happens with this? And what happens with that? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but actually, now that you said that, I'm actually quite interested. So I kind of wrote the novel alongside the course. So sometimes, you know, when I was doing playwriting, for example, it didn't work at all. I was writing something completely different for that. But then in the second year, we went back to sort of working on... Um, pieces of work for our dissertation and I knew that at that point that the novel was going to be my dissertation so we workshopped different bits um through that so it was actually quite it was quite nice like I felt that my writing style improved um I got rid of a lot of the bad habits that I had sort of like in terms of like exposition well, and things like that talk to us a bit more about that you mentioned that uh, you had sent away a book that was rejected a number mm. of times um, and you went to the course to improve. What, what mm. would you say did improve? So one of my the, my worst habit was just exposition and because um, I just say show don't tell, mm. which, you know, I agree and disagree with. <laughs> but, Put a good face. Um, sometimes you do have to tell a little bit, but I was telling way too much and hadn't quite learnt that skill of, sort of less is more or how to show things in a more effective way um so I did get better at that and when you know that people are going to be reading your work and sort of critiquing it the next week you can, you're always kind of thinking about the audience yeah. a bit more um whereas before I was just like well nobody might read this so I'll just write whatever I feel like writing and see what happens um so there was that um and I think it just made me a little bit more I guess adventurous in trying new things and seeing what what worked and it was kind of a risk-free environment so if you wanted to try something it didn't matter if it didn't quite work um at least you know that you know you tried that and maybe you could adapt it in some other way so yeah it was, it was interesting to sort of go through that whole experience i listen to music quite a lot when i'm writing um and i think especially when i'm writing a first draft it helps to try and listen to sort of music around like certain, you know, it was sort of recorded around the period. So um, for this book, obviously Laurie plays clarinet. So I listened to um, some quite early jazz from like the 1930s and 1940s. Um, and I, that kind of, again, really helps so when you've got the music and then you've got the photographs and it just sort of gets you in the mood to sort of write. I'd also say don't be afraid to like jump about in the novel if you get stuck. Because um, quite often, you know... So if you're writing it sort of sequentially, which I usually do, but you know there's a scene that you want to include further on and you're a bit stuck in the bit that you're writing, then sometimes just jumping ahead can really sort of help. Because once you start writing, I think it's sort of easy to come up with the ideas, as you, you know, once you've mm. sort of got into it. Um, and then another good tip that someone told me really early on was to, when you stop writing for the day, stop in the middle of something. Because then when you pick it up the next day, you've already, you're have already you already in that sort of flow. You don't want the, you know, the, the blank page staring up at you. Yeah, so don't ever end a chapter and think, oh, that's me done for the day. Because then you've got to start with something brand new and a, you know, a change of pace or something. And trying to get your sort of head into that sometimes is a bit more difficult. With your thousand to two thousand words that you'd hope to write during a mm. day, do they have to be perfect words for you? Or is it just get them down on that first draft? No, um, 
I would say that my first drafts are really trash <laughs> and I wouldn't show them to anyone. So not even like my agent. I usually write two drafts before anyone sees it. The first draft for me is just about getting the ideas down. And then hopefully by the time I've got to the end, there's a plot. Because <laughs> as I said, I don't really plot that well. Um, so to me, it's just about getting the story down. And also, usually on the first draft, I don't know the characters that well yet. So again, it's hopefully by the end of the first draft, I've got the characters more sort of concrete in my head. Um, I've got the story. I know if the story works. Um, to give you an example, I'm writing my sort of next book at the moment, which is a murder mystery. Mm. And it's such a murder mystery that I got to the end and I wrote the killer. And then I realized that wasn't the killer <laughs> afterwards. So I changed it on the second draft. Um, so on a sentence level, it'll probably be draft three or four before I'll even, you know, go, that sentence is really clumsy. <laughs> it's just about the story. Tell me about the murder mystery very quickly. I know you're not here to sell that book, mm. for one. I know, <laughs> uh, and I know with murder mysteries, especially you don't want to give too much away. Mm. Um, but how did you know that that wasn't the murderer at the time? I've spoken to another author mm. who, uh, didn't know who the killer was until the killer opened the, d- the door. Mm. What do you think is going on there for you? As in, why is the story that you are writing pulling you in a different direction than the story you had originally planned? For me, it's always the characters. Um, That's what it always comes down to. And I had a really clear idea at the start of who the murderer was. And then I wrote, you know, the the first draft. And because obviously what you're trying to do is point the reader in the wrong direction all the time. So everyone had a motive, basically. But I got to the end and I was like, actually, this person, their motive isn't that great. Like, it's okay. Like, it would, it could work. But actually, this person really has a better motive. And actually, it'd be a lot more interesting if it was that person. So I decided to change it. So I rewrote, when I wrote the second draft, I rewrote it with that in mind. And I just felt it worked so much better with that person. And actually, because I'd left it all so open and everyone had a motive, it, I didn't even need to change that much of the story leading up to the reveal because... That person, that person's motive was already in there. So, let me just take you away from that story because I don't want to get too, I don't want to go too far down that that cul-de-sac. Mm. I guess, lastly, just about the writing day. How, how do you know what you're doing each day? I know that you're not a thorough planner. You mm. said you're not a thorough planner or plotter, but how do you know what you are writing every day? So, hopefully, I've been sensible and I'm halfway through a scene, so I'll sort of finish that scene, and then. I'll think about, because I will have some notes of what I think is going to happen. I tend to more jot down. So I read a really good book called Into the Woods, um, which is about, it has a lot about sort of the five-act structure and how you should oh, sort yes, of structure yes, your, yes, 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 um, so. your novel, if you're writing a novel or, you know, a screenplay or whatever. So what I've tried, what I try to do is even if I don't have the whole plot is at least have sort of the midpoint and some of the, um, those sort of crucial scenes sort of jotted down. So I know... Depending where I am in the book, I know that I need to get between point A and point B in, say, like 20,000 words. So I'll be looking at where I am in that word count. And so I'll be like, okay, well, I need to finish up here. Is it too soon, for example, in a murder mystery to just kill someone right now? (laughs) Or, like, shall I wait? Or, you know, what's just happened? Do I need to have a a chapter of reflection if something exciting has just happened? Or, you know... Is it again a bit slow? Do I need to like up the ante? So. And my very last question about the day, because you mentioned earlier that you've 
taken a little bit of time off so you, you could mm. write your second book. I know that quite a lot of authors have found that when they go from working and writing to just writing full time, mm. they find that moment uh, very tricky to deal with because yeah. suddenly you've got the whole day of a blank canvas to play around <coughs> with. Um, especially to go from someone who's quite organised and doing, you know, two hours of writing mm. in the evening every day to suddenly have a whole day to play with. How did you make yeah. find that? How have you found that leap? Um, yeah, I am still trying to work it out. <laughs> so I'm literally only like two or three weeks into having all this technically free time. I need to keep reminding myself that this, <laughs> you are, you are this is working. actually my job now. I'm not just giving up work. This is like, yeah, writing is my job. What I've tried to do is set myself word counts for each day okay and again if i pit it by 10 a.m great i've got the rest of the day off and i can just go um go out or you know just you know binge netflix or something um so i've been trying to do that what's the magic number that you are trying to hit every day um so i'm trying to do 2000 bearing in mind i've got a whole day so that's sort of and i'm editing at the moment so it's actually quite quite easy to do that mm. because I'm not necessarily doing new words I'm just doing different words if that makes sense so um that seems to be working so I'm hoping to get that draft finished by the end of this month which I'm on track to do Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We'll get more from Louise in just a sec. Uh, now listen, I know it's a time of huge uncertainty and upheaval, so I won't dwell too much on this. It's just this podcast is, is quite a large chunk of what I do, and that'll all get thrown up in the air as well, I'd, I would imagine. Uh, I'm going to really try to bring you these as often as possible to keep you company, to keep you inspired while you're writing and while you're at home. Uh, and if you can afford to, 
and I know right now uh, you may not be able to, which is absolutely fine, but if you can afford to, if you'd like to help a lowly freelancer, uh, I'd, I'd love some help with this. Um, just pledge what you can over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. I know at the moment too, if you're a fan of a lot of podcasts, they will probably all do this same plea that I'm doing right now, so I just thought I would warn you for that. Um, but if you do have just a dollar or so a month that you could chuck our way, it, it really does help tide us over uh, at this extremely turbulent time in the world. It helps us bring you as many chats with as many of the greatest writers in the world as often as we can. Uh, you get a bookmark, you get some badges thrown in as well. Well, hopefully, if, I can, if I'm allowed out of the house to post them, but that should be the plan. Little bits of writer's routine merch just to say thanks. But if you've been a fan of the show for a while, uh, if any of the tips that we've had so far have helped the way that you tell your stories... Uh, I'd love you to just say thanks by chucking a dollar or so a month over to us. Uh, you can help. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Hi, I'm Sherry LaPena and I'm the author of Someone We Know, which is out now. And my writing tip is give yourself permission to write badly so that you don't get stuck. I find when I'm not writing well, I just keep writing. And then if I go back and read it, I'll find the kernel of something that's good there. And then I'll work with that and I'll, I'll make it better. So I think the problem with writer's block is that people often feel that it has to be perfect when it goes down to the page. And that's simply not the case. So I think if you want to write a book, just start writing and give yourself permission to write badly so that you can improve. Right, let's get back to it with Louise Hare then, talking about her brand new novel, This Lovely City. Uh, we talk about how thoroughly she plots and how she researched and how she researched post-Windrush London, and how it was much more complicated than she imagined. Uh, understanding it was 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 quite eye-opening for her, I think. Uh, we also learn how much different characters got involved in the story, which she would never have predicted when she first had the idea. We talk about how her novel ended up being like a jigsaw, and how she had to put stuff in the right place, in the right order. And we pick things up, talking about those words that she said she tries to write every day. I mean... What happens if they just won't come? If you're forcing it, I think it's just going to be too difficult. I think in that case, I would just go, let's come back to it tomorrow and see. So I'd just try and make some, maybe some notes about what I wanted to do in the next day. Um, and then, yeah, because I think sometimes, like, sometimes it's just not working. Sometimes you're not in the right headspace. And I mm. think if you try and force it, you're either going to end up with a load of words that you're going to have to delete the next day anyway, or you're just going to get yourself in a bit of a mess. So I always say, if you're not in the mood for it, just you know, try and get something down if you can. Or even if it's sometimes I'll just do a bit of researching. Um, so you're doing something towards the book. Like I think as long as you've got the book in your head, I try and do something on the book every day, even if I don't actually write any new words. So whether it's just having a flick through some websites to look at fashion of the time or um going back through notes and just reading over it mm. i think that all counts towards it so yeah uh, i think don't be too hard on yourself if, you, if it's not a day to write then it's not a day to write the publishers are going great guns for this they are pushing this lovely city mm. this is the one of the year they're saying uh, <laughs> and, and it came from a short story mm -hmm. uh, you, you mentioned that though you were writing for your uni course can you tell me about the very first idea the mm. moment that you had the very first idea for, for that short story? Mm. So 
it comes with a very specific thing because I um, there are tours you can do where you can go into like um, sort of like lost tunnels of the undergrounds in London Um, and I did one there's a deep level shelter underneath Clapham South tube station I know it well yeah Yeah. just down the road Um, yeah they they do tours down there so obviously it was like an air raid shelter in the war but I didn't realise until I actually got down there that they actually put Wimrush passengers down there when they arrived but the people that didn't have anywhere to go that have family already in, in the UK so I was sort of down there and I did it in I think it was June, so it was like summer, um, and it was just really weird to sort of go in from this like bright summer day to going down like this spiral staircase, and you can kind of hear the trains in the distance, and there was just these really long tunnels, and it left like some of the bunk beds up to sort of illustrate what it would have looked like, and I was just like, oh my god, like I wouldn't want to spend a night under here, but imagine if you've just travelled. Yeah a really, really long way on a boat, which is already weird, and you've landed in, you know, and thought, you know, yes, I'm in, made it to England, and they just shoot you underground in this mm. tunnel. Like, what would that have felt like? So I just made notes when I got home, and I didn't know what it was gonna be. And then it was probably about four or five months later that I had to write a short story for the MA, and one of the things is, you know, you just get given a date where you've got to send this in to the group, and I was like, what do I write? I had no ideas. So I just picked up my notebooks and I was going through, I was like, oh, there was that tunnel thing, that would be cool. And then um, I thought I'd give it a go. Uh, and it was just about Laurie's first day. So I thought, I don't need to do a huge amount of research, it's just a short story. I'll just write this guy and his instant regret at having traveled all this way to England already hates it and he's having a really crappy mm. time. Um, so yeah, so that was the short story. And then everyone says, I want to know what happens to Laurie. Mm. How do you then turn that short chapter, the, the short story, this character, that's all it is, it's a character study really. How do yeah. you turn that then into a plot? What happens next? So I had had another character, um, Evie, who's sort of, so those, those two are the, are the main characters in this book. And I'd been sort of, she was in a notebook for about a year because I kept trying to come up with something and I was trying to put her into this sort of murder mystery plot but it wasn't kind of hanging I didn't know I didn't know what happened so I knew that there was a pond on Common Comet I knew that there was a dead baby I knew that she was there and I just couldn't get my head around what what the plot was and then because her story was going to be set in, in during World War II, basically. Um, and then I was like, well, wait a second, if I put her with Laurie, so just move her story a few years later, put her with Laurie, then what happens if Laurie is involved in this situation as well? Um, and it just suddenly all made sense. And so I knew, so I had the beginning, um, I had Laurie's scene from 1948. So I was like, okay, so if I write them meeting, and that's good then, so basically there were flashbacks since 1948 and then the main book is 1950. So yeah, it kind of, it kind of made sense in my head and then I tried to write it and then it didn't make sense anymore. <laughs> and then it just took lots of tinkering to kind of figure out because I knew who had done the, committed the crime. Yeah. So it was just getting, I was like, how does this work? And then playing with the two different sort of time periods because I knew that I, I knew that what had happened in 1950 was directly as a result of what had happened in 1948. So it was just then working out how 
how to slot those chap those different chapters in how much did you know about the type of story that it would be because as you say there's a mystery element to it mm. that there's uh, there's obviously this nostalgic uh, feel because of where it is it's also there's a bit of social commentary in there too um how much did you know about that where it would sit on the bookshelf yeah i really didn't <laughs> yeah i was really rubbish um i guess i wasn't really thinking about that um which I think is kind of a good thing. I think if you worry too much about that at the stage that you're writing something, you're going to end up trying to force it to be that thing. Um, I mean, it's difficult talking about it now because everyone's like, oh, what genre is that? I'm like, I don't kind of know. Because it's sort of historical. But a lot of people would say it's not, because it's 1950, it's not far enough in the past to be historical. Sort of a love story. It's sort of crime, but I don't, like, I wouldn't position it as crime because I think people have expectations about right. it being sort of faster paced and all about the investigation. And actually, uh, most of the book is about the, the sort of impact on the community um, rather than anything else. So, yeah, I don't know, but maybe that doesn't matter. It, it was a mess for a really long <laughs> time. Like, it was, I found it really difficult. Because um, there's so many, I didn't realise this at the start, but there were so many things going on there. Um, so I remember like a year into writing it, my agent was like, you've picked a really complicated story for your, like, your debut novel. And I was like, yeah, well, I didn't realise that. Otherwise <laughs> I wouldn't have put all this stuff in. Um, so it's just like jiggling it. And then I found as I went along, as the characters developed, they wanted to tell their sort of strand of the story. Um, so once I had everything, it was still in the wrong order. So then it was like putting everything in the right order. Um, so it was a bit like doing a, some weird jigsaw puzzle, I think, more than anything. Over the last couple of years, the, the, the Windrush scandal has been pretty prominent in the news. Mm. Uh, how much thought did you give about that, about the aspect of the book that is uh, social commentary? Um, yeah, it was, a bit, it was a bit weird because basically we were about to send it out to publishers yeah. when that happened. So I think it was like the April or May of 2018 when it hit the papers. Um, so I, as far as I was aware, the book was like pretty much done. Um, but I sat down with my agent and we were like, well, really all we want to do, because this obviously the story is set in 1950, it's not set now, um, but maybe we just need to emphasise a few points. Like, for example, reminding people that these people came over from British passports. So, you know, it it's not like they were refugees or you know this kind of thing you know people these people are british and um like the band leader in the story arrives on his own in 1948 but then by 1950 his wife's come over and a couple of his kids um and actually those kids would have been the sort of people that were affected by the Windrush scandal because they were people that would have come over on their parents passports and therefore didn't have their own passports and so forth hmm. you know that was a lot of the issue around Windrush scandal so i think we just wanted to make sure that those things were maybe just pointed out a little bit more than they were, because obviously we were, I didn't have that in our heads, my, I didn't have it in my head at all when I was writing um, the drafts before that. But really, it, the book was done. Mm. And yeah, it's been it's been really weird. You know, I thought I was writing about this thing in the past that people, you know, I wasn't sure if people, that people would be that interested in it. Mm. And then obviously, as soon as that happened, it was like, suddenly everyone was like, oh, you write a book about Wimrush. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, this is kind of, kind of, odd but also I didn't realize I was at because people at work knew that I was writing this book I'd been writing it for a couple of years um and then people 
so then I became like the big Wimrush expert. So people at work <laughs> were like, I never heard of Wimrush. Um, and some of them lived in Brixton and walked past Wimrush Square every day and were like, I never knew why it was called that. And I was like, I kind of thought, I felt like everyone had known that already, but obviously they didn't. So I kind of, yeah, it was kind of really weird. <laughs> when you're writing about 1950s South London, you know, instantly, as soon as you say that 50s Brixton, you immediately, stuff comes to mind about how it would have been, you, mm. memories that you, are, you shouldn't have mm. that don't exist because I wasn't there. You immediately kind of yeah. think you were, you know, it, it evokes a lot. How did you go about painting that picture, telling the story of mm. the place and time and location using words? I think what I, I like to include like things like the market. So I looked at, I looked at old photos a lot um, and tried to work from those. And then I found out where a lot of people would have lived when, um, when they first settled in Brixton. Um, so I just kind of had to wander around and just sort of thought what was what would have been here um, that I can use. And then obviously because it was straight after World War II, um, there's a lot of new buildings there now, which obviously, I, I, not all, but some of them would have been built because the previous buildings had been bombed. So just making sure that I remember to talk about that, um, to sort of paint that picture. Um, and remembering that there was no tube there <laughs> so everyone would have got buses and I think there were trams there but I was like I can't I can't research trams that's too <laughs> difficult um and I think they got phased out around that time anyway so I was like everyone's getting the bus everywhere and from what I could find there was a really good website actually you can find out bus routes and when they wow. started and like old bus routes so but it was quite nice that a lot of the buses that I like still get today around that area were going in 1950 so that kind of made me feel like you know, I could just do that bus ride and then write about that bus ride and what can I see out of the window. Was it important to you that these facts were correct? It was really funny because it was because somebody said to me, well, was there, was there a night bus at that time? Mm. And I was like, yeah, there was because I researched it. And I was like, actually, I'm, I'm glad that I did research that because I kind of wasn't that bothered. But then you do want to make sure like a night bus would have existed from, you know, you know, how would Laurie have got home from Soho? He would have got a night bus, but was that possible? And I was like, that's like the opening scene. So uh, I should probably check. <laughs> I don't want someone to read the opening scene of my book and go, well, there was no night bus <laughs> at that time. It didn't, the, you know, it was no such thing. Um, so things like that, you know, I don't want anyone to be taken out of the story by, you know, a blatant error. I think you do need a good solid opening. You don't want people to be confused by your opening paragraph. It needs to be quite clear you know, ideally, you know, create a picture or a vision of something. Um, but I did change, <laughs> I did change mine a couple of times. So, you know, you can always go back and edit, especially in the first draft. I wouldn't particularly worry about um, the first paragraph that, that much. Because quite often where you start is not the start of the book. You start somewhere and you're like, actually, I have to just get rid of that first page because it's just waffle or it's just me writing into this character or this mm. scene that I'm trying to trying to do. So you're cracking through your second book right now, mm. kind of coming towards the end of the first draft, uh, and you're clearly someone that has studied the craft of writing. Literally, you have done that. Where do you think there is to go in terms of your writing mm. that you can still grow on? How how can you how can you make make it not that it needs to be better, but how mm. how can you improve your writing? And also, how can you improve? Like the, the the efficiency of your writing. So mm. your writing day, how can you streamline the whole thing, do you think? Um, I think in terms of the process, I don't think there's that much 
in terms of like sitting down and writing, mm. you know, that, I think that's just the same um, for everybody. I think writing the second book, it is a, it is a simpler story because it is just a murder mystery. It's just this character seeing all of this stuff going on around her, her freaking out and then, you know, trying to survive. And, you know, it's a lot, there's a bit of social commentary in there still, but I would say it's very much a murder mystery. So it is quite, it was quite easy to, write a draft and go you know go from the beginning to the end without taking quite as many diversions as I did with the first book um but then the book that I'm thinking about afterwards I've actually been thinking about for two years and that is really difficult um I think because it's a lot more historical so I'm going to have to do more research so I think what I want to improve on it is just get braver in terms of the choices um that I'm making in terms of maybe having like multiple narrators or just trying different things I think is interesting different types of narrators or um I'd like to write because I write in past tense a lot so I'd like to write something in present tense maybe see if that works so, so yeah it's just trying different things and keeping it interesting have you been bitten by the bug for all day free time writing um can you see yourself a few books down the line this is all you do, just 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 writing the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I would I would like to make writing my like full time career, um, but I'd like to try new things as well. I'd like to because um, I started uh, writing a play when I was doing my MA. Um, I never went back and finished it because I find it difficult to write a play and write a novel at the same mm. time because of the structural differences. But I would like to go back and maybe try screenwriting or writing a play and. You know, have a go at different things. Um, and I'd like to get back into short stories again as well. Um, like proper short stories, not ones that turn into books, like full <laughs> books. So, yeah, there's loads of new things that I would like to try. And I think, you know, if I'm able to sort of fund that with um, sort of book sales, that would be fantastic. I mean, that's the dream. So we'll have to see how it goes. And that is it for this week's writer's routine. Thank you so much to Louise Hare uh, for telling us more on the show. Her book is This Lovely City. Uh, you can get it right now. We'll have a link over at writersroutine.com. Uh, I'm being serious what I said earlier, kind of glibly, by the way. It just came to me. But I am being serious. If, if you have a book out, if you're very frustrated that your events have been cancelled, if, if you would like to get the word out there, I mean, I can help you out. It's not a massive word, but... It will reach a few people. Uh, please do let me know all about your, your your books that are coming out, that you're publishing, perhaps for the first time, and you're so excited. Uh, let me know, and I'll give everyone I can a shout-out on the podcast. Uh, if you've learned any tips today that will help the way that you tell your stories, please do um, help us out, help us carry on in this incredibly turbulent time. Uh, just fire over some pennies to patreon.com forward slash writer's routine now next week we're talking to elena kiriaku about her novel she came to stay it's a murder mystery with an edge that'll be next week on the show you can get in touch uh, in the meantime give us a follow on twitter we are at writers pod uh, you can use the contact form at writersroutine.com uh, and i'd love you to write a review for the show if you've not on the apple podcast store by the way uh, if you've got loads of time if you're not writing that's something to keep you busy uh, take like a few seconds to be honest uh, just leave writer's routine a review over on the Apple Podcast Store and I will see you next week with Elena Kiriakou bye even on a budget quality is non-negotiable 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.